0: chat show Um, tonight I'm your host Um, my name is Sophie and I am the founding director of mental health and sports CIC and tonight we have a treat for all the rugby fans of the podcast we have Steve Granger on the show so hi Steve
1: good evening how are you
0: I'm amazing how are you
1: good all good thank you well pretty good Considering their current circumstances, I think.
0: Um, Would you like to give us a little bit of a background as to who you are?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Steve Granger, the the Rugby Development Director at the Rugby Football Union. So I've been there for uh, just over nine years now. Um, Some days it feels like it's nine minutes and other days it feels like it's 99 years. Uh, my job there really involves the management of the sort of operational side and the development side of what we know as the community game. So basically everything that sits beneath the, the championship on the men's side of the game and beneath the um, P15s on the, on the women's side. And that sort of encompasses all of our clubs, our schools, colleges, universities, uh, adult rugby, as well as sort of age grade mini and junior rugby.
0: Wow, amazing! So you've got a pretty big role then. Um, so, in terms of the community, how important is the community in rugby? Because obviously it's a team game. Um, it it must be a huge deal to handle that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's um the the, the we call it the rugby family, um, particularly in the community game. And I think anyone that's involved in the sport would would know and understand why that is. Our our community clubs are, they're more than rugby clubs, they're sort of sites within the local community, yes, at which rugby is played, but also they're sort of major hubs for that local community, for um, whether it's young people, adults, families, um, everybody sort of coming together, both on and off the field. Um, a huge amount of, uh, of, of lifelong friendships, uh, lifelong relationships, and you know, in times of crisis, Clubs like that really um, really come into their own and, and we've certainly seen a lot of that over the last six months.
0: Yeah, of course. It must be massive, especially with COVID. Um, what So previously, you used to, I did a little bit of research. I didn't stalk you, don't Always right. dangerous. Um, <laughs> always dangerous.
1: <laughs>
0: um, so you used to work with the Youth Sport Trust. That's right. Um, that. What made you change to rugby?
1: uh it's a great question um so i'd i'd worked i've always worked in sport i've been lucky enough to work in in a number of different roles uh i started up i was part of the, the team of four that started up the youth sport trust back in uh, well, a long time ago now back in 1995 um did a number of different roles there and, and to be honest you know it's like any organization i think when you've been uh, um, a number of years, you start to think, Well, what next? You know is this me forever, or are there other opportunities out there and for me, that was probably about two thousand and nine two thousand and ten so i 've been there sort of fourteen years, knocking on fifteen years, and you just start to think, well, what else is going to be out there? What else would I like to what else would I like to do um, i 'd worked in local government i 'd worked in charities i 'd worked in um, what's now Sports Coach UK, the National Coaching Foundation. I've never worked in a, a national federation. And I think in sort of 29, 2010, you were, if you worked in sport, you were very excited about the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics coming. But you were also thinking um, from a sort of next step point of view, after 2012, there's going to be a lot of people that have migrated to work in sport because of the Olympics and Paralympics and the job market's gonna be a lot harder. So I'd sort of made the decision that it was, it was time to, to start to move on. Um, and then you start to say, well, where do I really want to be? Uh, and for me, if I was gonna move into a, a federation, a governing body of sport, I really wanted to be in one of the bigger ones where I could uh, test myself, I could learn some new skills, I could you know, get a bit of challenge. And for me, um, rugby would always be top of that list. It had been a, a really important part of my formative years. It's a sport that I um, had played, unfortunately, only until I was about 19 and had a bad neck injury. But, um, you know, after that, it was, still part, it was still in my blood. It's always there. And I was just really fortunate that the stars aligned and uh, a job came up at, at, at the RFU in early 2011. Um Chief Executive at the time um, a guy called John Steele who just moved from UK Sport. Um, somebody that I um, knew that I could work with and that I'd welcome the opportunity to work with. Um, applied for the job and, and got it uh, and the rest has been history really so um, it, it, was, it was part of a conscious decision to want to move on and then really the right role coming up at, at the right time.
0: That's amazing. Um so i mean i still think 2011 was like two years ago but it wasn't <laughs> um so since 2011 how has the sport the sport changed in terms of in this country but also in terms of the whole world
1: yeah it's, it's a great question and i mean if you if you look at um if you look globally you know 2011 was the new zealand world cup so i'd only been there um i probably worked in the union for about three months when um, the New Zealand World Cup happened, and uh, for those people that saw remember it was it was pretty memorable for England, both on and off the field for the wrong reasons so a um, lot of challenges uh, off the field in terms of team cohesion in terms of some you know uh, reports on player behavior and and a whole pile of other things, and then sort of crashing out in the in the quarterfinals um so it was, and that was my first insight, really, into what uh, the, the sort of how the national team could impact on, uh, on grassroots and on participation and, and how important the national team is in a, in a sporting environment. And of course, since then, we saw we hosted the Rugby World Cup, the Men's Rugby World Cup in 2015. We'd won the Women's Rugby World Cup in, in 2014. So we'd seen, we started to see significant shift in the sport, in the sport here. Um, again, on the field in 2015 in the Men's World Cup, really disappointing uh, to go out in the pool stages. So one worse than New Zealand really. Mm-hmm. And, um, but we were on home ground. We were, we were staging the tournament in this country. And that provided us with a great opportunity to, to take rugby to places it, it hadn't been seen in before to, you know, in terms of major Major events and we were able to, to really drive some some great sort of opportunities on the back of that and then of course to go to the Japan World Cup last year and, and to make the final um, wasn't again a great final performance but at least at least we got there um, and again for the the women in 2017 to uh, to make another World Cup a World Cup final again it wasn't to be at the final. So I think in terms of performance, we've seen some significant significant shifts. I think more broadly off the field, um, what have I noticed has changed? Uh, The the opening up of eyes to the fact that this is a sport that's not just... The male 15-a-side game is arguably still the core of the game, and it's still where we generate the majority of our revenue to invest in the game. But if I think back to 2011 when I joined, um, uh, women's rugby was just not universally accepted by, by our sport. Um, it was being uh, played by a significant number of women and there were some brilliant females leading the development of that sport. But it just wasn't, it wasn't in our DNA. 2014 World Cup win started to change that. And, and now I think it's transformational. There's, there's still a way to go. There are still challenges, but it's much more integrated than it ever was. And I think the same would be true of non-contact rugby, um, other variants of the sport, which is just again responding to what's a very different demographic now—different people that want to play our sport, they want to consume it differently. So, so pretty significant change there, uh, I think. And I mean, globally. You continue to see the, the, the major rugby nations um, sharing similar sorts of challenges uh, around how we, we are still challenged by transitioning players out of age grade rugby and into, into adult rugby and retaining those numbers. But you've also seen globally significant growth in places like North America um, and across, across Asia where there are a lot more people crudely uh, just picking up and handling a, an oval ball rather than in our context kicking a kicking a round ball
0: yeah that's that's incredible i find it so incredible because i never knew that rugby could be played by girls and it just absolutely blows my mind that i didn't even think that that was the case um, so i find the whole the whole thing fascinating especially since i've just joined um, the Pinnacle Mindset show, I've, my mind has really been opened up. <laughs> um, but, Anyone could do anything. Well, yeah, I know. Well, that's the thing. I don't really know why I was so surprised. But um, the thing which I also find fascinating, just from trawling the um, RAFU website, um, is the mental health related approach that you guys have on your website um now not many governing bodies have actually got links to mind and um what are the other ones um samaritans people like that not not many governing bodies have that why do you think that one why have you got that on there but also two why do you think that not many governing bodies have that
1: yeah, I mean, I think in in terms of why why we have it on there, there, there are there are probably two key reasons. You know, one is one is a really sad one, and one hopefully is how we take our responsibility seriously. So one is a fact that we are, you know, we're a sport that's enjoyed by a lot of men in their late teens and 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 twenties and, and and much older, of course. But and increasingly over the last few years, unfortunately. Um, we, we've had a, a significant number of those individuals who've um, had some serious mental health issues and then very sadly some cases that have resulted in, in, in suicides. And when that happens um, in, a, in a rugby, I mean, when that happens in any family or any community, that, that hits it hard. When it, it happens in a, a rugby club and a rugby community, it seems to hit doubly hard. And, that, and that's back to that family thing. Mm-hmm. And um, over the last couple of years, we, we then get our rugby clubs and our rugby family wanting us as a union to do something about that. You know, What's the union gonna do? You know, we've got young men in our clubs that are committing suicide. And, and our take on that is you know, they're, not, they're, they're not committing suicide and their mental health issues aren't caused by, by rugby. These are societal issues. And you know, we are definitely not the right people to be helping you know, we're 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 a governing body of sport, and we're yeah. sport development professionals or performance sport professionals. So we've taken the very conscious approach of partnering and signposting with the sorts of organisations that are that are experts and specialists in in their in their field, um, and we believe it's those agencies that are best placed to 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 help with this situation. Um, and and what what has equally is very positive are the amount of Brilliant stories where we do hear from young men and we do hear from clubs that you know it's a very sad statement, but you know if it wasn't for the rugby club i I wouldn't be here um, and and it's that genuine pulling together of a, a community that actually cares about you as a person uh-huh. um, and that's that's really important to us as a sport yeah no that
0: that's incredible i was uh, when I signed up to do the show, I was fully anticipating there to be nothing on the website and to ask why. But then I found it on the website and I was amazed because so few governing bodies have like links to um, mental health services. And I was just amazed by it. So my hat fully goes off to you guys. Um, and in a way, I think you're probably leading the way with governing bodies. Um, so in terms of it being a team game, do you think that has benefits or do you think that has negatives on people's mental health?
1: I think it's a massive, a massive positive. Um, you know, I would, uh, I'm a big advocate of um, team sports and, and, and uh, a dependency that you end up with on each, uh, each other. So I can, um, you know, I'm a bit of a runner and I could argue i could go out for a run and i'll get physical health benefits i can go out for a run with a running group or i can go to a race where i'm part of a team and i'll get i'll get physical and i'll get a bit of mental health benefit from that because i'm communicating and it's good i think with a team sport and and arguably particularly with our team sport where the dependency on other players is huge so everybody's got a unique role that they play and you know, I won't give examples of other sports, but in many other sports, you can move positions much easier. They're not specialist positions. You know, in our sport, we need a front row at the front of a scrum, and not everybody can go and play in that position. So, if you're, if you're a prop, and you decide just not to turn up for a game, there's another 14 people can't, can't play just just can't they won't get a proper game or we'll have an uncontested scrum and if we have that there are another 15 people in in those two scrums that can't practice the art crudely that they 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 want to practice and their specialists sat on the pitch. And and I think there's something quite special about that, about being valued for the role that you play whatever it is within within that team. So I think it's it's important in team sport full stop. But I think in a sport like ours, you've, you've all got a very, very specialist specialist role. Yeah,
0: that's, that's amazing. I, I find team sports fascinating because I'm part of an individual sport. So I'm a swimmer. Um, so I find it fascinating the fact that how it must be in difference to a team sport. Um, in terms of mental health, um, how... Are you, what are you guys doing to kind of keep moving forward um, with reducing uh, mental illness in sport
1: so I think a lot a lot of it for us is about um, we, we as I said earlier we definitely we're not mental health experts um, you know that's a it's a it's a specialist uh, skill and a specialist area um, what we can do is a um, make sure wherever possible that our coaches and um, you know, people that are involved in clubs can recognize the signs. So, you know, training programs and signposting training programs to help people, help people recognize that. Um, and, and importantly, help them, you know, not try to deal with things and solve things that they aren't equipped to do, but encouraging people to go and get the right level and the right sort of support but the other piece is i think um you know how do you um uh not how do you prevent mental health but how do you perhaps um uh, reduce the exposure to some of the things that might lead to it so loneliness or, yeah. or low self esteem or you know anything else that goes with that so in and around our clubs that they're definitely not lonely places um yeah there's a there's a sort of saying that you can you know, almost you, 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 if you're involved in a rugby club, you, you'll find a rugby club wherever you go and you'll get a really warm welcome. Yeah, and there's a perception in our sport that we're a, there's a perception that we're an exclusive sport because, you know, years ago we we came from the independent school sector and we were only played by males and it was largely white males. And, and, and a lot of that is is true. You can't hide behind it but actually when you get into a rugby club environment it's i'd argue it's the most inclusive environment that you'll ever be in and the diversity of people in it in terms of you know walks of life and backgrounds and and and, and demographic is is is, mass, is massive and i think profiling that actually um, you know i've been in a few live meetings the last few weeks with rugby clubs and in rugby clubs and you I would have challenged virtually anybody not to be at home and not to have found something in common in the room that they were they were in. And, and friendships are made for. It's a bit twee, isn't it, to say they're friendships for life, but they, they genuinely are friendships for life.
0: That's incredible. I first of all, I want to comment on the fact that I love the fact that you've just said that you guys aren't sports psychologists because so many times I say that sports governing bodies don't do enough but then people are always like oh but then i not sports psychologists. I love the fact that you've acknowledged that but you're still trying to go for more um but I also love the fact that you've acknowledged the prevent preventative measures I guess we can call them um in terms of um mental illness and I love that um so obviously Covid's been a tough time for everybody um have you seen a change in the environment in rugby clubs or has the general family whole side of things just carried on as normal
1: it's um i oh, know i mean it's definitely there's definitely been a change there's a lot more hand sanitizer around <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a lot more face masks around and there's a lot more or stickers yourself. on the floor and all that sort of stuff so i think clubs have really really embraced their their responsibilities um You know, have they? Have they? Many of them been a bit frightened of the responsibility that they're taking on. Yeah, it's 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 big decision to decide you're a volunteer and deciding to open your club back up. Um, There's in the early stages there was some. Did you notice change? Yeah, because the end of the season was cut short. So, but the creativity in the clubs. You know, how many? virtual awards nights <laughs> seem to take place over Zoom and Teams and Skype and everything else. And and clubs, many clubs very quickly, uh, You know, people are used to going to a rugby club and volunteering and helping out. It's become part of their life. So actually getting stuck into helping out and volunteering in, in their own local communities became a, a natural way of doing things. So the number of stories we heard about People creating food banks in rugby clubs, or delivering uh, prescriptions to elderly people or housebound people, and you know, taking food out, and even you know, letting their club kitchen facilities out to somebody who was uh, creating food for elderly people. You know, just just that yeah. genuine um, community community spirit has has really really come through. I think maybe. One of the fears, if that's the right word, going forward is the other great thing about rugby clubs is they're intergenerational. Mm. So you, you know, you'll go down on a Sunday morning and you'll see uh, 76-year-olds with six-year-olds.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and, and you've got that, that multi-layered generational issue. A lot of our volunteers are, are, are elderly because the clubs become part of their life and, and they still go down there. And And I guess one of my fears is probably not too strong a word, but is that we, we lose a little bit of that right. um, that connectivity. We, we've got to as well as getting our six-year-old players to still go down, we've got to try and make sure we create an environment for our, our 76-year-old or even in some cases 86year-old volunteers to keep, keep going down to the, the place that's become a you know a central part of their life for the last 50 or 60 years
0: that's that's absolutely amazing i love the fact that it's just a whole community feel um and i guess that's probably what draws quite a lot of people to rugby um is that community feel would you agree with that
1: yeah i think um i mean i think if you've if you've if you've played rugby um uh, you you there's a natural sort of thing to take your kids to play rugby but actually those kids talking to other kids and again, I, I, I'm not, um, you, you'd never sort of uh, compare it necessarily to other, to other sports, but the fact that there's a, the majority of rugby clubs are have got a clubhouse mm-hmm. and they've got their own facilities. And if they haven't, they, they sort of create a virtual clubhouse without knowing they're doing it. There's something about the, you know, even clubs that, that some of the clubs that play on local authority parks, there's not a physical building there, but they seem to create the same sort of 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 atmosphere. Um and it it's it's definitely in years gone by has been a place that people would go to. And that's now what we are we work very hard with our clubs to try and get them to modernize their facilities and to make sure that they're and that's a challenge for them because you know cash isn't out there to do those sorts of things in perhaps the, the ways that they used to be but really improving their facilities and, and making them a place that people want to go to because if you're in rugby and you've been in rugby for years you don't even notice the stains on the carpet on the floor or the smell in the clubhouse or the deep heat or the curtains that are yeah. a bit torn at the edge but if you're an 18 19 year old and you're making a decision about whether this is something you want to place sort of place you want to spend the rest of your life in you're probably comparing it to the the bar down the road or the coffee shop down yeah. the road or the the you know virgin active gym or whatever it is that you go to and it, it needs to needs to have wi-fi um you know it needs to be um a place that you feel comfortable in um and, and that's that's the trick often the the older generation that have been involved for a long time just have it to to that
0: wow yeah I think that's amazing um, so would you say it's been difficult to support your athletes and coaches during this crazy time
1: um, so far uh, no because I think um, I was of course it's been difficult but to be honest it's it's been relatively easy because they've supported themselves again it's back to that. Um, it's back to that community spirit and yep. self support i do i think it's going to get more challenging as the nights get um darker and the weather gets worse and we're still not back playing full contact rugby which is what drives a lot of people in i definitely don't underestimate the challenges that that are in front of us um and uh i think supporting them to both get playing rugby but also generally just supporting club members club players club officials club volunteers through what's going to be a pretty challenging winter for us all mm-hmm. um and you know the beacon of light at the end of that the beacon of hope really is that the clubs have really got to grips with the virtual world mm-hmm. and are uh, people that you would never have gone a Zoom call seven months ago. Who are now saying Zoom calls up? Um, actually, they just have to work in that way.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I I agree that I think it's going to be a long winter. I think that people tend in this country. I think people tend to struggle more mentally in the winter, um, just because of the whole lack of vitamin D. From I mean, we don't we aren't blessed with very good weather here. <laughs> Um, yep. It's not like we're on a training camp twenty four seven, but I think that it's it's good that you're aware that that is coming. Um, so, what are the kind of plans in place to combat that?
1: So, at the moment, the 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 biggest thing is to try and get back to some sort of meaningful rugby. Um, so we've um, we, we've got we've got rugby back up and running in a, a non contact. Um, version of the game, we've got to a situation where at least clubs can go and play other clubs because that's an important part of rugby as well. Coming together with a, you know, another club and you know making it, making competition even if it's not the full format of the game. But really, our driver at the moment is to do as much as we can to get to keep our players safe and our volunteers safe, yeah. but to get to get rugby played, um, and also to make sure our clubs can. Uh, and many of them are brilliant at it, but some do need support to bolt things down where they need to to think differently about how they 're running their club and operating their club and financing their club because we uh, we will get out of this eventually, and at that point we we need those clubs to be operational we need those facilities to still be there and active in the in the local community um, and from our point of view, we need those players coming back down to rugby clubs you know we we, we it's, it's easy for them at the moment to perhaps go off and do something different and um, you know they're the future of the sport
0: yeah for sure it's probably a lot easier to just play a video game right now um, and yeah. I think that it's it's so nice to hear that you're being so proactive about it in regards to your coaches um, what mental health first aid training support kind of awareness do they get
1: so again we 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 recognize across the board that all, the vast majority of our coaches 99.9 percent of them are volunteers yeah so again we we we're very careful about what we insist they do because mm-hmm. they're their own motivators to come into into rugby they're giving up their own their own time
2: yeah. so
1: clearly they're you know, they've all been through safeguarding training and they've all been through technical rugby training. What we then do is make sure that there's a good offering mm-hmm. of, of courses and that we signpost to, to courses so that we, we're in a position where we can signpost them off to, to other providers that are, offering, that are offering particular courses. So, so nothing's, nothing in that arena is compulsory. Yeah, but there are relationships with agencies and organisations that 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 offer that. Mm -hmm. And again, often you know there are often there are people in individual clubs who either work professionally in first aid or in mental health. And Mm -hmm. again, that's the strength of the club. There are people who who bring that to the to the club. There are there are several schemes across the country that are locally funded by. Groups of clubs and by our constituent bodies, like our, our county associations, that, um, that that are that are using the expertise that are in the that's in the game. And again, I guess this is another great thing. You know, you can, you can volunteer in the sport, not just if you're an accountant or a lawyer, or you know how to do pitch maintenance or catering. But there's all these different skill sets that people can people can bring.
0: Definitely, I think that's incredible um so before we wrap up i have one more question if you had i mean you can't have dinner parties right now but if you had a virtual dinner party with <laughs> and you had the chance to invite three people like they can be still alive they can be dead they can be whoever um who would you invite and why
1: oh god that's a that's a great question to end on isn't it when i am not even thought about it <laughs> so. Um, the, the first person that I would love to have had around a dinner table would still have been would still have been Nelson Mandela
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and and why I just have massive admiration for anybody that can you know crudely lead a nation while they're still locked up um, in a uh, in a prison cell on, on an island whatever it is four miles off off Cape Town I just I think how you Show resilience, and um, you know whatever you believe in any cause. Anybody that can that can do that and that can lead a nation out of what it came out of. I'd I'd love to just get a few a few tricks tricks as to why.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the second one um, would be would probably be my uh, my my granddad who sadly passed away when he was nearly a three, um, uh, three four years ago now. Um, because I think he'd just enjoy the crack um, and he'd enjoy the he'd enjoy the conversation and just because um, he came from pretty humble beginnings so to you know to hear and see uh, w- some of the stories that I can, I can now tell and some of the individuals that um, that i've you know that I've met uh, that I've met over time um, and the third one—it's probably. Um, uh, I think who would the third one be? Um, you know what? I think I'd, I think because you know I, I'd go for the queen, um, just because I think she, if if we if were under absolute chatter mouse rules. Um I just think the things that she must have seen and heard and yeah. witnessed over the years um and some of the stories that she could tell, and maybe in real honest moments um some of the things that she wished she could have done that she wasn't allowed to do, or perhaps some of the things that she has yeah. actually done that she's never been able to tell anybody about
0: yeah that's such that those are three really good um people i love that um and i hope that all of them would know how to use zoom um if not (laughs) might be a little bit of a problem but um yeah that thank you so much for coming on the show tonight um and please to our listeners please like share follow do all of that stuff to hear more from us and especially in the next coming weeks Um, But thank you so much and I hope you all have an amazing day.